The Balkans now, since the 90s, have been um, split up into a number of different smaller nations, and I've listed those there. They start with Slovenia. I'll do it your way. So if Italy is here, okay, and the Balkans are here, all right, Greece is down here. So we can start at the top with a little country called Slovenia that backs right up against Austria, and people call that the, the parking lot for Austria. They've got the same Alps that Austria has, but on the other side, so it's cheaper. Below, the, below Slovenia is the country of Croatia. It's shaped like a sea. It has a very long coastline on the Adriatic with more than 1,000 islands. It's across from Italy, and it's probably the most, one of the most beautiful countries in Europe, and it's a lot cheaper than Italy, so you should definitely go there. That's the country where IST is located, and the capital of that country is the country, a city called Zagreb. Okay. Next to that is Serbia. Right below Croatia is Bosnia and Herzegovina. We just call it Bosnia. Below that is Montenegro. And then tucked over here in a corner, I mean, that's Macedonia is the bottom. Tucked over here in a corner is a little tiny part of what used to be Serbia called Montenegro. If you watched one of the James Bond movie recently, not Spectre, but the one before, the one where the, at the beginning of the James Bond movie there was a train going through some mountains and they said it was Montenegro. That wasn't really Montenegro, but I think it was Switzerland, but anyway, that's <laughs> what they called it. And then another part of what used to be Serbia is now broken away, and it's called Kosovo. You probably heard of Kosovo has been in the news the last little while. Those are the, the nations that used to be Yugoslavia, and now they're called um, various by various names. That region, which is probably around the size of Texas, I would get, guess, wouldn't you say, that the Balkans is probably about the size of Texas? Mm -hmm. In that region, there are at least that number of countries. So you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven countries, plus Albania, Romania, and Bulgaria. So you have ten different nations that form a space about the size of Texas, maybe a tiny bit bigger than that, so it gives you an idea of size. Ten different nations. There are, there's one common language group for some of them, which used to be called Serbo-Croatian, but it's now been, it's, that's being ethnicized into various, the various countries, but it's a similar language, plus Albanian, plus Bulgarian, plus um, several others along with a couple of dozen different Roma, probably gypsy um, dialects that are spoken in that area. So multiple, So imagine going from here to, uh, to Austin and needing to speak a different dialect. <coughs> or, they do in Austin. Yeah, in Austin. <laughs> or, you guys know about this, when you go to Houston and not being able to understand the people that, that live in Houston, you know, having so this is kind of what's happening. The other thing that's happening there is so ethnically you have similar di different similar ethnic values, but but very different expressions of those. The other thing that's a reality there is the number of religions that you're dealing with. Okay, so if you're a Croatian or Slovenian, you're probably Catholic. If you're a Serbian, or if you're a Macedonian, you're probably an Orthodox Christian. If you are a Bosnian or an Albanian, if you live in Kosovo, you're probably an, a Muslim, or very likely that Islam is in your background. Very unlikely 
that you would be a Protestant. There are one or two percent Protestant churches in the whole region, which were brought in Baptists, Methodists, Church of Christ, um, Seventh-day Adventists. A number of Protestant denominations were brought in with missionaries. They form a very small portion of the population. And then underneath that figure, running certainly less than 1% of the entire Balkan population would be evangelical believers, people like sitting in this room. Okay, The amount of people that are sitting in this room that are, that are believers in Jesus, this would be a good-sized church um, in, uh, in somewhere in the Balkan region. Okay, this, this many people that were all believers sitting in one room having church together. I've preached in many, many churches throughout the Balkans that are this size. So this is fairly typical, less than like 30 to 50 people. Okay, would be about the size of most evangelical churches. Um, so you get a sense that the, the by number that the influence of the gospel in this part of the world is, is fairly small. Now, you would think between Catholics and Orthodox that there would be some influence for, for Christianity, but those expressions of religion in the Balkans are much more nationalistic than they are religious, if you understand what I mean. So if someone is a Catholic in Croatia, they're a Catholic because they're a Croatian. Does that make sense? They're not a, they're not a Catholic because they because they are committed to the gospel or they typically are committed to the church. It's a nationalistic religion. Okay, Like Texas, it's like if you're a Baptist you know, in Texas or a Baptist in the South or a United Methodist in the South, a lot of times you still get that same, not to disparage any Baptists, but you get the feel sometimes that people will say, I'm a Southern Baptist. Well, I live in Texas, so of course I'm a Southern Baptist. Or, you know... Whatever you get that feel from somebody, or you say, if I live in certain parts of the United States, well, I'm a cat. If I live in in New York City, or if I live in Chicago, I'm a Catholic. You know, what, but what does that actually mean? You know, it's part of kind of more where they grow up. In Mexico, probably almost everyone, I would say, what 90% of people who live in Mexico probably would claim to be Catholics. But when you think about that, how many of them are actually truly living out, you know, a gospel life? In that, so similar to the Balkans. Does that make sense so far? Yeah. Okay. So what you what you begin to realize is that religiously, the Balkans has a very very small number of people who are believers in Jesus, and they have very very small amount of influence over the countries that they live in. So one of our passions, of course, is to to see the the gospel, the kingdom of God growing in that area. We can't see transformation of that area for the gospel for the kingdom unless we have bodies people who love Jesus and are willing to sacrifice to tell people about him. Okay, So we have very few there right now. The other reality here besides the religious reality and kind of the ethnic reality um, between those two ethnic and nationalistic uh, and religious issues in the, in the 1990s, the mid to, to late 1990s, when Yugoslavia was breaking up politically, and each one of those nations, one because they were Catholic, one because they were Orthodox, other political reasons, as they broke up, it wasn't a friendly breakup. Okay? The country of Serbia wanted to assert their political 
power over the region, and so among other things. And so any place where there was Serbians living, um, well, that's not me, that's my same region. You scared me. <laughs> um, the teacher didn't turn off his phone. Um, I am so sorry. <laughs> I just feel like the bad student today. <laughs> we're going to give you an opportunity to redeem yourself. You're not a failure. You're Edith. Yeah, you're We are extending grace to you, Edith. Please keep, <laughs> please keep your phone off. <laughs> because of these differences in ethnicity, nationality, and religion, when they broke up, it became it became um, it became a violent breakup, and so Serbia wanted to assert their political power. Therefore, and they had most of the military control, and so they brought armies into Bosnia, into Croatia, and they tried to force those nations to to maintain their Serbian population separately from the rest of the nation. It was a complete disaster, and that war was very cruel. It involved a lot of atrocities and a genocide across Bosnia. But it wasn't just the Serbians who were doing it. It was also uh, Croatians, Bosnians. No one was not at fault in that war. And uh, it's, been, it's been now 20 years later, and we're still feeling the effects <coughs> of that war in the ethnic divisions that are happening between. So Serbians and Croatians still don't like each other very much. They still spar in public, saying things about each other that aren't true. Little tiny nations that are continuing to basically battle, and there's a lot of undercurrent of tension still in the region. And every once in a while that flares up. It flared up a little bit in Macedonia even this year between the Islamic, the, the Muslim Albanians and the Orthodox Christian Macedonians. So there's just this current undercurrent of of division and tension that maintains in that place. Okay, I believe that the reason for that, I mean, we want to label things like different religions. We want to label things like ethnic differences, um, nationalistic pride. We'd like to label those kinds of things as the problem. We might even say economically it's an issue because these are all very poor nations and employment can run from 15 to 40 percent or more depending on what part of the economy that you're in. You know, unemployment for, for people in, the, in, their, in their 20s is probably running 45 percent. So you see there's that economic burden that, that is there. There's not a lot of a base there for manufacturing. So all of that comes together and people will say, well, this is just the reason this is in such tension, why it's a powder keg is because of all these divisive issues. You spend enough time there as a Christian, you begin to realize that the main reason why we have this, this level of tension is because we don't have the spiritual power. I mean, the wrong spiritual power is actually working in place there. The enemy has his hands across the board working in that place through the corruption of the politicians, through these nationalistic divisions and, and ethnic and religious divisions, the enemy is continually stirring up tension in that place. And I believe, uh, in my experience, one of the reasons that's happened is because there isn't the influence of the gospel in any real way in that place. Okay, Whenever you extract the gospel, whenever you extract the power of the gospel from a geographic location, 
the room is open for the enemy to kind of do whatever he wants, and you know he wants to kill, steal, and destroy, and that's what's happening right now in the Balkans. So as we, but you know, we go there and you know, and we travel around, and we really love these people. You know, they really are wonderful people, and uh, the more you get to know them, the more you realize that God really cares about them too, and He really wants to operate in their midst and bring the power of Jesus to bear in their lives. So now we have this challenge. How does he want that to happen? How does he want this to happen? Well, I've, this background stuff that I've, that I've put on here is, uh, you, know, you can read for yourself, but the reason that, that Laura and I wanted to, to come together is on the back here. I listed some, um, some needs and some direction here. Um, one of the reasons or some of the reasons that we created Intentional Strategies for Transformation which has a vision and I wrote that at the top um, a vision to pioneer and resource redemptive or kingdom transformation across the region what that basically says is we want to see Jesus Christ lifted up and we want to see lots of people coming to Jesus there like we do everywhere Strategically, we have thought that would happen through church planting. And so from the 80s to now, we've attempted to plant churches. Not me in particular, but the evangelical church has attempted to plant churches. And most of that has happened by resourcing it from the West. So American churches like yours came and gave money. They brought people in to do projects. And they brought people in to do services. So money, you know, money gifts and services came in, poured into the place but because they weren't owned by the people on the ground as soon as they dried up the church kind of has shrunk so our passion is to see the kingdom of God grow there but to do it from from kind of what's there, to, to begin building it from what's there, so that's why we list these needs everybody on board okay? everybody any questions? Any anything doesn't make sense so far? Okay, we're gonna we'll move this into a discussion eventually, but I, I want to provide this background. Okay. Okay. The needs that we see then are we want we want to begin to reverse how the the the, the culture of that area operates. We want to reverse the effects of the injustices that have been perpetrated through corruption, misuse of resources, people mistreating each other because of their ethnic divisions. We want to be people who begin to reverse those trends. There's no jobs there, or very few. There's very few income-producing ventures on the ground there um, that young people, especially um, young leaders, can connect to. We want to begin to reverse that trend. It's very, it's uh, very common for a young person not to have anyone in their life that kind of fathers or mothers them to take care, who has taken care of them in terms of move, being interested in their life and moving them forward. It's common. My guess is Xavier could tell us. There's you have coaches and teachers and adults in your life across your life, right? There's yeah. several different people in your life, from teachers and coaches who, who care about your life, people in your church, right, mm -hmm. who talk about you. That's common for you. It's very uncommon 
in the Balkans for someone like Xavier to have, they'll have parents and grandparents, but to have other adults in his life who look at him from the perspective of him becoming a leader, him becoming someone who's going to start a business, him becoming someone who's going to contribute to his world, very few people would take interest in his life. I had a couple here, that, a couple that's, that's uh, at the upper room in Dallas. They're from Bosnia, Mufid and Veronica. And I wanted them to come here today, but unfortunately Mufid got sick last night, so he, they couldn't drive over here. But what I wanted to do with you this, this afternoon is that I wanted to interview them, and I wanted them to tell you kind of their story, having grown up in Bosnia. They're now in around 30. They have a three-year-old boy. But they could tell you the story of what it looked like to grow up in Bosnia in terms of what was what resources were available to them. And economically, what resources were available, which was very few. The ability of them to work even as a teenager wasn't possible. Their church leaders saw them as children all the way into their 20s and so didn't provide them with leadership opportunities except at the youth level, running a youth camp or something like that. So they would tell you that they grew up essentially without the benefit of having people who cared about their lives in meaningful ways to move them into leadership. And that would be the case even today. We would like to reverse that. Um, we really would like to create um, spiritually ma- mature communities and churches there. But that's going to take young leaders to get involved in the process. We'd really like to see over the long term to create an environment that outside investment was welcomed. Right now it's not a very strong place. Companies, people who have investment money to start businesses, entrepreneurial enterprises, they don't want to come into the Balkans because they recognize that it's corrupt, that they probably won't be successful. There's so many hoops to jump through. There's red tape in terms of how they get businesses started. It's very unfriendly to businesses, and we would like to begin to, to change that process. And then lastly, I wrote down here that they really need opportunities to be trained, to be trained both in their uh, theological training. The big school that was, that was there in OCF for a long time that I taught at is, is now virtually closed, so there's not a lot of opportunity for them to get theological education. There's certainly not a lot of opportunity for them to get training, and even if they get a degree in engineering or science or medicine, which they could do, unless they go to work for a government-owned company, there's not going to be a lot of opportunity for them to start a business or to build some kind of an economically viable system for them and their family. I um, I asked several um, young people when I was there this summer. Um, I just was talking to them, and I... I asked them, what is the, what's the one thing that, that you, if you could change something in your life, that you would like to be able to do? And I expected the answer to that be, well, I'd like to go to school to study something, or I'd like to be able to work in a particular company that did this, or I'd like to be able to go travel somewhere where I could, could learn or see something. I mean, you know, the answers that young people would give as they dream about their future. And almost to a person, I would ask a young person, what are you passionate about? What do you really want to do right now? What's on your heart? And they would say, they would almost always say, I really want to figure out how I can take care of my family. 
my family doesn't have enough money, we can't buy food, my sister can't go to school, for a number of different reasons they would say, my, my, this is a, a teenager or a young person or someone in their 20s who has, could be doing anything, and their heart was to say, I really want to figure out how I can take care of my family. That was what they wanted. My mom and dad have worked and figured out how to how to move us and get us to school, and I need to figure out how to take care of them. This is amazing. I don't think you would hear that answer from the kids in our in our church, for example. But they are at a, such a basic level of need there that they're just saying, "How can I help my family get out of the hole they're in?" So, is that painting a, a picture of a little bit of a picture? Do you have any questions about that, or do you have any? a sense of anything else about kind of the need of the situation we're living in. I'm not trying to paint it too darkly, but just to be... Is it still I'm sorry. Go ahead. Is it still basically... It sounds like a lot of the communist teachings and things are still... Communism had a large effect on this area, though not quite as much as in other places, because uh, Tito was not, the guy who ran Yugoslavia for many decades, was was not quite, and he was definitely a socialist and definitely a communist, but he wasn't, he didn't have as tight of a grip, he didn't tie himself, for example, to the Soviet Union quite as tightly as other Eastern European countries did, and was never occupied <coughs> by Russia or or by uh, communist forces outside of Yugoslavia. <coughs> so he ran his own brand of communism. Now it was still very very um, um, social, socialistic, as you're right. It very much did strip out a lot of the ethnic, ethnic values, I mean the ethical values, out of the society. But it's l- communism is less strong. There certainly are pockets of people who are older who kind of have that mindset. It's not so much... I think the leftover of communism is probably one that they didn't have a, a, a... He tried to neutralize... He didn't try to take away religion. He just kind of tried to neutralize it. You know, you could practice your religion in private, but it, he didn't allow religion to become, or Christianity to become kind of a, an ethical uh, foundation for the nation. So part of it, is you're, you're feeling that. You are feeling some of the, the, the effects of the economic socialism that was developed there, and there's still a little bit of that mindset there, but mostly what they left behind was an ineffective way to deal with injustice. Um, They left corruption, they left cronyism, they left nepotism in the system, and it's been really hard to root that out. Um, And because you don't have the Christian ethical values available to, to work with, now you have this kind of institutionalized in many places. So there's still dealing with that. Now that Croatia has come into the EU, you know, some of that had to get kind of cleaned out, certainly not all the way into the core, but there were certain rules and certain ways of doing business and running the government that they had to form in order to be part of the European Union, but even that has not filtered itself all the way down into the level of society where a family can take advantage of that. Does that make sense? We noticed when we were pastoring with Mission Arlington up here, we uh, had a number of families that were actually from Bosnia. from Bosnia. They were actually uh, initially from Yugoslavia, with Yugoslavia under Tito. And the problem with the young people and with the adults was getting them motivated 
because under Tito, everybody had a job. Mm -hmm. Everybody had a place to live. And coming here, escaping out of there, there's a difficulty where they end up having to, you know, go out and get a job, get a job and do things. Even the children are affected mm -hmm. by that when they don't want to. Yeah, and you make a very good point because there's there's that same pressure is happening in, in Eastern Europe right now where as communism has fallen, yes, there was kind of quote-unquote 100% employment yeah. under communism. They lived very, very well. The older people that, that I know yeah. that are in, in the former Yugoslavia, they lived very well. They had jobs. They had they grow beautiful food there. It was just, they had a distribution system for their food. That each one of the little the nations that are now nations had something that they were the thing that they did. Tito arranged it according to nations. So Bosnia built vehicles, Macedonia grew food. They uh, they had a system. When Tito died and that fell apart, they all became divided and they don't ship. There. So Macedonia throws away more food than it than it. Than, uh, I mean, it throws away about half of the food that it grows because it has no market for their for their vegetables and fruit because they don't want to pay the duties to ship it across those lines. So you're right. Now the people who are on the other side of communism are saying our life, our, our standard of living is actually far lower than it was under communism. And there's a bit of pressure to kind of move back into some system like this because of that. Because everybody was taken yeah. care of. Yeah, it was, they, they, they literally had more spendable income and more access to things that made their lives comfortable than they have now. Yeah. under this quote-unquote capitalistic economy they're trying to, to, to establish. So you're right, that's very much the situation there, and they're feeling that. I have a question <coughs> about, you said that there's, the adults aren't in leadership positions for the younger children to be led, mm -hmm. and is that, is they just never were trained? So now you're going to have to start with the little kids and training them up how to be leaders? Yes. There's a sense in which, um, at least from my, my observation, that when the middle-aged and older leaders there, um, I, I guess it's just a sense that they are in many ways trying to, to maintain their positions, and they are threatened by young people coming up to the process, I think they're threatened because they don't want them to take their jobs because the jobs are scarce. But there's also kind of an attitude that has built up in the older leaders that these folks don't really have any any right or capacity to come into leadership. They haven't earned their way into the process yet. And there isn't a sense that they should kind of come down and work with them and help and bring them up. Um, so there's it's it's an it's a, an attitude and practice problem, as much as it is a training problem, because they also don't have the sense that they should do that. So we're working against a system right now, and that's part of the the challenge is as we begin. One of the reasons why we're going to be talking about us coming into a process of of mentoring young people in that in that part <coughs> of the world. The reason that we we want to talk about that is because of this lack of of in the culture, so to speak, of, of a reaching down and bringing up young leaders. Over the course of time, we would like to change that culture, and we'd like, I don't know if it'll be with that generation, maybe those guys will all be out of leadership by the time, but I'm hoping that as we build this program up, you all get replaced <laughs> in many ways by local 
people there who have learned how to, how to because they've been mentored, they've learned how to mentor, and they begin to do the process themselves. So over the course of five to ten years, I'm hoping we can build a group of people over there who could begin doing this work. But part of the process is they need to be mentored so they can learn how to do that. And you're right, it does start with coming, start with even children eventually, but the target audience that I think we're going to, that I'm at least thinking about working with is guys probably that are in their 20s right now, moving toward in and into their early 30s. Do they speak English? Well, the ones that you're going to work with will, unless you want to learn Croatian really fast. That's not a dream. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a main core product of mining, or is there? They have few natural resources there. So Some mining in Bosnia. What's that? Yeah. See, what was there has been stripped? Romania dealt with that. Yeah. All the all the coal, all the all the minerals are gone. Soviet skin got it. Yeah. So the Soviets took a lot of it. Tito didn't let that happen in in the Balkans. But it did happen in Bulgaria, Romania, and Czech. The, um, there are not a lot of natural resources in terms of minerals or oil in the Balkans. Some. There are natural resources. Croatia has more because they have a coastline. And so they have a fishing industry, a dynamic fishing industry there, and some other things. But those things all are family-owned typically and not, very, not large enough to employ a lot of people. So that's another area that we... I saw a video the other day of Croatia, an oyster farm. There's a whole area along the coast that's basically just untouched. And they have huge oyster farms out there and shellfish farms that are really productive. And they do a really, really good job. They've been very effective at farming certain kinds of fish that have been difficult. So they're doing some interesting work in those areas. But you can't cross borders without a lot of headaches. Yeah, now the Croatia is in the EU, they have a, a little bit of an easier time moving product up into the EU. So that's was one advantage. So, so you think <coughs> working mostly with Croatia? I think that we're we're going to work with Croatians, but I think that I my network of young people spans across the region, so I know some that I think would be good for this program that live in Bosnia and in Macedonia. Um, as, in Serbia as well as in Croatia, so it'll be kind of around the that area. There's a, a couple of guys, interesting fellows that I know in Albania too, but I don't. One speaks English well. Um, so anyway, all of the the, the needs that are there. Um, in terms of then, how are we going to address kind of address this from the perspective of IST? In IST, what we have, kind of our main structure that we have created, has four basic arms. It has this humanitarian, or how are we going to relieve the effects of injustice? How are we going to deal with these economic development issues? And how are we going to deal with leadership development issues? And there's a fourth one, which is a mental health piece, because we had somebody on our board who's in that area, which we'll probably move to. There's no idea that Christian counseling is something that doesn't really exist there, so eventually we want to move toward that. But my niche here for us in our discussion today, the, little, the niche that I wanted to reach into was this area of leadership development. That's my passion. And what I mean by leadership development, at least what I mean by it, and I'm sure there's a lot of other 
I know that there are a lot of other definitions and ideas, but from what I think about leadership development, at least in Eastern Europe with the young people that I've been working with, there's there's basically three um, three kind of voids in their lives that need to be developed. They don't know God and their Bible very well. They don't know um, uh, how their emotional system works very well. And they don't really understand um, how to communicate without shame. Um, as I was talking about this morning, that there is a, uh, you know, we all deal with shame, which is the sense that I am something or I'm believing something about my identity that's not true. In the, in the Bosnian Eastern European culture, I mean, the Balkan Eastern European culture, there is kind of a, a shame is kind of built into their into their cultural milieu. They, they, even Christians, Christian leaders even, will speak and operate from a place of shame as they communicate. Shame of what? Shame. Um, what they're, because what they're doing is rather than speaking to each other from the perspective of how God sees them, they speak in terms of a, an identity that has been created, a false identity that's been created um, and so rather than looking at somebody and, and, and saying, this is what God values about you, they will very naturally look at someone and say, this is what's wrong with you, or this is how you're not good enough, or a very just very simple things. If, for example, Edith, Edith, Edith. <laughs> for today. What is it? Edith is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it, John. I'm, I'm Edith for today. I'll answer Edith. <laughs> Edith, Diane, over here. Diane, Edith. If if she were to, you know, if she were to come over here and point out, if I asked her to come over to the board and point out where the Balkan nations were, if she, if I were to do that. And if I were to ask her to come over and point out the Balkan nations, then she, for some reason, rather than point to the Balkan nations, pointed to Central Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, be, because of her lack of knowledge of, of the geography of Europe. And, and I were to say, a typical shaming thing for me to do would be something like, I can't believe, Edith, that uh, you don't know where the Balkans are. I mean, you have someone in your church right here who probably has told you where they were. Did you forget? I mean, are you really that stupid that you, uh, you know, that you can't Maybe remember? Maybe dilt up. You know? I'm looking at the And But I mean, rather than the response being, being okay, that's cool. You know, let's, let's work together to figure this out. You know, if you don't know where it is, well, then you've got friends who can help you. You know, we'll figure it out. In the shame culture, it would be, I can't believe you didn't know that. Yeah. You know? Right. Because the people that are doing the accusations were raised that way too. Yeah, so the they were shamed. And when you knock some, so you you happen to lean over here and accidentally knock your coffee cup off the table, and the response rather than be, "Oh, here, let us help you, let's let's clean that up for you," would be, "What a fool!" Yeah. You know, can't you, can't you just figure out how to keep your coffee cup on the table? Simple examples, but this is the the method of communicating that is used across the board in their culture there, and so. I was going to say, when we were there, we noticed uh, very seldom would people look at you in the eye. Mm-hmm. You know, just that, that eye contact. And, and our first time in Romania was, we can tell you're Americans. Well, how can you tell? Mm-hmm. Because you look us in the eye. 
And there's there's that shame yeah. of that I'm not going to make eye contact with you. So. Yeah, and it's very powerful. It's mm-hmm. pervasive in the culture. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of one of the reasons why I this niche that that I picked of, of leadership development is to say when I think of leadership development, I think of building up your understanding of who God is. So your your biblical spiritual maturity. Um, I think of building up your emotional intelligence so that you understand how your heart works. And like we talked about today, know what the hooks are in your own heart. Everybody's got stuff in their life that they're proud of. Everybody's got stuff in their life where they feel like they've failed. But it's how you handle those things and you handle them intelligently and you allow, you allow grace and you allow God's Spirit to come into the center of those things and say, this is... Let him heal that. Let him come in and tell you who you really are. So you don't have to operate from a place of pain, a place of shame. So emotional maturity, emotional health and healing. Um, And then learning how to communicate in a way that actually brings value into the people around you. So these are kind of basic skills when I think about leadership development. Now, of course, as you look down the list, there's some other things that you need to learn how to do if you're going to be a good leader. You need to know how to communicate in general. Um, you need to know how to stand up in front of people and and present an idea to them. There are some skills there. If you want to do a, you want to build a business plan, you're going to have to figure out how to do that. That's a skill you're going to need to learn. If you want to learn how to move um, an idea forward in your in your ministry or your company or your area. Well, you're going to need to learn how to do strategic planning. So these are some skills, entrepreneurial skills. You're going to have to need to learn. You're going to have to need to learn budgeting. Do you know how to build a budget? What about learning, continuing to learn? So all the things that I've listed here are areas that I think are important in leadership development. Now you guys can't aren't probably going to get all connected into all of those things, but when I talk about mentoring, then I bring it down one more level. So we talked about here's kind of the needs of the culture. And, and the needs of the culture are going to get, I think, solved because we build new leaders. So what does it mean to build new leaders, leadership development? And then I'm going to pick one area of that, and I'm going to put it in this, this idea of mentoring. Okay? From my work with young adults, the one of the key tools that has been the most helpful in bringing a young person kind of where they need to go emotionally, spiritually, physically, um, has been in building a personal relationship with them to support their forward movement. Okay, In some ways, it's kind of like being... I envision, in many ways, I envision um, an effective mentor the same way I might envision an effective parent. Okay, Now, you know what the difference is between being... of of having a mother... Being mothered, and I think all of you know what being mothered is like, versus someone who cares about you as a mother, okay, or being fathered. And many, if, if Mufi and Veronica were here, if I would ask them, what do you feel like is, was the was the one thing that you kind of longed for as you dealt with the adults in your life, and especially as you d- dealt with the pastors and the church leaders? In your life, what well, what would the thing that you longed for? And I think a, 
they would probably say somewhere in the beginning of their answer they would say I longed to be fathered well but I didn't have a father but I longed to be fathered well which meant I longed to have someone who understood my heart understood God's heart and understood how to connect me emotionally and spiritually to what God wanted me to become does that make sense? You all know this. I mean, you've had coaches and men. We've all we're 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 blessed in so many ways because we have these people. I mean, I can name three or four people in all of the failures of my life. There was still there was still Mr. Grant, my my violin and orchestra teacher, who for eight years was the one person who said every time I fell down, didn't succeed, or did something stupid, was the one person who would come back and say, "Okay, here's how you do it better. Here's how you do it next." You know, he coached me through my life. We. We kind of get that. Many, many people in the Balkans don't have that opportunity. They just don't have that. So what I'm envisioning here, if I can just kind of encapsulate it, is I have a vision for young leaders in the Balkans to have someone or some group of people that they can turn to to walk with them in the spirit in, in the progression of their growth as a human. Does that make sense? They, they need a friend, father, coach in their life that they can turn to and say, hey, I'm thinking about this. What's that sound like to you? Um, I really don't know how to make this decision. Can you walk me through it? Um, can you help me understand how God sees the way my parents are treating me? How do I respond to that? Um, my boss is really treating me badly and he's, he's not paying me what I should be paid and he's what, what's the best way for me to react to that Just how do I do life in a way that, that, that is wise and biblical so that's kind of an overview is that, is that making sense in terms of vision talk to me now about okay what everything we've now said that I've just said in the last 45 minutes respond You, you mentioned an age group of 20s to 30s as being someone who's hired a lot of people. That group was off limits for hiring. I'd rather hire the teenagers before they went to work because they were much easier easily instructed mm -hmm. for their future because somebody who's already tainted with bad work habits a laziness about them and I don't care attitude I didn't really change mm -hmm. and just caused aggravation mm -hmm. so I mean I question that why do you pick that age group versus the teenagers who are seeing very little hope mm -hmm. Because I, I see this as around-the-clock effort. Once you start this, you can't really break off because that idle time will be very destructive and then falling back into the system, back into mm -hmm. the, the, their culture. Yeah. Um, so uh, my... Yeah, that makes sense, Bill. And I'm, we've thought some about this. There are... There are groups of people that I that I know that I've worked with that focus more <coughs> on the kind of 16 to 22 year old 
time frame. From the perspective of employment, I could understand what you were sa- you'd be saying. One of the reasons why the, the, the 20s, 20 to 30, is an important um, age group for me is because in I've been doing a little work in, in kind of studying kind of the sociology of these generations. And this, this group of 20 to 30 has been identified sociolo- sociologically as emerging adults. When you, and, when you and I were growing up, it was common for us to go to high school. Some of us went to college. And somewhere in that age range, 18 to 22, we would find our spouse. And typically, we would pick a career. And then we'd get married. And we would, by the time we were 25, we were well into the process of having children. And our family was moving on. I think right. I, had, I had both of my children by the time I was 25. Yeah. And so... I was, you know, I was working. My wife was working. We were established as a family unit well into my mid twenties. That time frame for establishing adulthood and responsibility has been extended now into the early thirties, mm-hmm. and that's why they call it emerging adulthood. Because where adulthood used to emerge from the time you were sixteen to twenty-two, mm-hmm. that time frame has now merged, has now moved up in our culture. To where you're not you're seeing a lot of couples now not getting started with their families and stuff sometime until their late 20s and into their 30s. So we've added almost 10 years to the process of of having family units get started and and in our culture at least. And so that 10 year kind of gap is the gap that I'm I've been focusing on that emerging adult gap because I have found out that. If you can use that 20 years, that, that 20s gap from 20 to 30, if you can use your 20s well, if you grow spiritually and emotionally, um, physically well during that time, physical life habits, even how you eat and take care of yourself, if you develop good habits in your 20s, then that will carry you through the rest of your life in a better way. Um, and I think all of us could go back to our 20s and say things we learned, habits we built, um, practices that we started in our 20s are still affecting us right now, for good or for bad. So there's a book called Shaping the Journey, Shaping the Journey of Emerging Adults. That's kind of been kind of the inspiration for a lot of what I'm talking about here, because I think if we can shape 20-year-olds, whether they're in the states or whether they're in the Balkans, if we can shape their journey well, when they hit 30. They're going to be able to become the leaders that are going to build the church and the kingdom forward, and even businesses and the economy and the politics of that place forward in a way that I don't think they could otherwise. So, yeah, your question's valid. I probably would prefer, if I just was hiring people, I'd probably prefer not to hire a slacker who's 25 and is trying to figure out his life. You're true. You're right. But from the perspective of what we're doing, which is trying to build leaders, once you hit get into your early 20s, you're kind of in the place where you're ready I think, to have someone in your life to begin moving you. I think you need three different kinds of, 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 of mentors in your life. I think you need, an, you need someone who understands your heart and can walk you out of things like shame and pain and, and identity. There's, um, there's a set of questions we're all asking. We ask them all of our lives, but, but, but especially young people ask these questions. Who am I? The question of identity. Why am I here? A question of purpose, meaning. Where am I going? A question of direction. And does anybody really love me? A question of intimacy. 
We're all asking those questions all the time. But young people are asking them especially profoundly. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Does anybody love me? And I think that the, the part of the role of one of the mentors you need in your life is helping you answer those questions. Another mentor you need is vocationally. Someone who's been in the field that you want to go into and can say, well, when I was in this, when I've walked through this field and I've worked my way through this field, if I have someone who is passionate about children's ministry and says, I really have a heartbeat for kids, I really want to learn, you know, what it looks like to be a children's minister, I'm going to want a children's minister who may not know very much about my heart or may not be able to walk me through my pain, but at least knows a lot about children's ministry and can say, if you want to be a good children's minister, this is what it looks like, you know? I would be someone who sells big things, you know, <laughs> whatever they are. I'm going to get someone in my life who sells big things, and I'm going to say, help me learn how to sell big things. You know, whether or not you're a Christian, in many ways doesn't matter. I need your life experience. So I need an a, a emotional mentor. I need a, a, a vocational mentor. And then I need someone in my life who just is intimate with me. Now, typically that's my spouse, you know. But if I never get married or I'm a young person then I need another person of the same gender who I can learn how to be, just be friends with, you know? So you need all three of those kinds of things in your life. And I think that what one of our heartbeats is to say, how can we at least provide, probably not going to provide the intimate one, but I think we might be able to provide one or both of the other two. Well, in a lot of ways, vocationally, some of the skills that can help you be successful aren't always field related, specialty related, they're general truth related, like be on time. Exactly. Exactly. You know? And so so part of what we're looking for is so you have someone in your twenties and our our desire is to shape the journey, you know, shape the journey of their twenties into their thirties. We want to shape it so that they become emotionally intelligent. So some of you have a knack for just listening to their heart and just saying, I see where your heart's at. I, let me help you think about this trauma you've been in. And there's a lot of trauma in that part of the world. There's a lot of physical and mental abuse. Very, very common for people to have been emotionally and or physically abused uh, in, into their, you know, in their lives. It's just, it's just across the board. Um, being able to hear that and not change it or fix it, but be able to say, okay, let me let me help you walk your heart through that, okay, that trauma. So some people are going to be really good at that, and those are the kind of conversations you can have. But as you say, everybody in this room has done something, okay? Everybody in this room has a, has a life experience, you know? Some of you are older than others, and so you have more of that life experience, but everybody in this room has life experience. Even Xavier. Xavier has got life experience. You know, he can talk to someone who is, you know, he could talk to his buddy next door who's entering first grade for the first time and is scared because he's been in kindergarten and now he's got to go to the big school. And Xavier could talk to that, to that kid and say, you know what, dude, first grade's cool. Here's what you're going to learn in first grade. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to—it's going to be like this. You don't have to be afraid. I know you've never ridden on the bus before, so I can tell you how to do it. Everybody has got a life experience that can walk someone forward. 
Okay? So I think that one of my, my heartbeat here is to say, would you be willing to be connected to a young person in the Balkans? We'll, we'll ask you to fill out something that says a little bit about your skills and what you've experienced in life and what your passions are and, and um, what you like and, and don't like. And we'll try to kind of connect you with someone who might be someone that would be interested in having a conversation with you. And the goal of this would be probably for the first several months. Now, this is going to be challenging because you're going to have to be using email and Skype and you're not going to be able to. So the challenge will be getting around those technical issues. But I think that it's worthwhile enough to, to do it that if we create, you know, if we can make good connections really for the first few months, all you really are going to be doing is just listening really well. You know, you're, and we're going to try to provide you with some information on what is, what is good listening, what is, what is empathetic listening. Some of you know it already. Some of it might be something new. We'll just provide you with a skill set that says this is what it looks like to listen to somebody else's heart and, and, and get them to the place where they, they believe that they have been heard. Because for, for many of them, no one's really paying any attention to them. You know, then no one's listening to their hearts. No one knows how to listen. It's shame all the time. As soon as they say something, uh, they try to say something about their trauma, it's immediately shame. You know, why do you think that way? You shouldn't believe that. What's wrong with you? You know, not always that rough, but, but even if it's gentle, it's still not empathetic. Where are you going to get these people from? You may have already said it, but I'm just going to pull them off the street and inter- interview them or. Which people, people are we talking that, about? The people that we're going to be connected oh, with. Oh, no, no, they're going to be people I know already. Okay. I already have, I've been working over there for 10 years. I have a massive network of, you yeah, massive. So you'll help. I will, I will be part of the process of making these pairs happen. So the proposal here is that, that um, this is a, what we're, I think what we've, we've kind of decided to try is a pilot program. A pilot program where we take 8 to 10, 12 of you, or all of you if you all want to do it, but take a group of you and kind of find out who you are, and then I'll go back to Croatia through the different young leaders that I know there into the network that I'm in, and I will and I will determine which ones are the ones that seem to be the most amenable to this kind of a thing, and we're willing to do it. And then we'll make we'll make connections. And it'll be okay. male to male, female to female. Yeah, or couple to couple. Mm-hmm. Um, and couples can definitely do, because there is very much value in a, in couple relationships there as well. So we'll go back, me and Mufid and, and Susanna and some others, and we'll talk and we will determine, we'll find a set of 10 or 12 that are ready to do this. And then we will match you to the together, and then we're going to match right. <laughs> Then we'll give you a set of a criteria. Of this is these are some of the do's and don'ts. You know, one of the things that you never want to do in this situation is is promise them anything. You know, their their economic situation is ten percent of yours, whereas their prices are about the same as yours. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Imagine living. Imagine living in 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 Granbury, Texas, with 10% of your income, and having to get all the same things done, and gas being eight dollars a gallon, rather than dollar eighty-two. Wow. Okay. 
So now you're living with 10% of your income in Granberry and having to do everything you do right now. Okay? So now you can imagine the kind of pressure that is on them. You know? So they might ask for, for something. Don't promise them money, visas, trips, passports. Don't promise them um, visits. Uh, you come here. Don't promise them anything. Okay, your goal is to listen to them and bring wisdom into their life. Okay, from the spirit. Uh, I'm hoping we'll have some education on this because mm-hmm. I'm I'm wondering. I'm, I don't want to. I would love to do it, but culturally, I'm kind of like spoiled, mm-hmm. and you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to. I can't. Same, same. really good, but culturally, like, like you want to know what the taboos are and what's taboo. accept, acceptable. What's, what's your opinion of Facebook? I think that you could use um, whatever technology electronically that was available to you, as long as you used it carefully. Don't post, you know, anything on Facebook that you shouldn't post on there anyway. Um, but I think it would be very valuable to share um, your lives together versus, you know, Facebook friends. I have many Facebook friends in Eastern so Europe. So we could be for Facebook friends. I think it would be very safe to do that, especially with the ones that we're going to choose. I mean, unless you have a habit of doing something with Facebook you shouldn't be doing, <laughs> I think it would be appropriate to be Facebook. I mean, many people use these electronic tools this for... This is going to be good for us. Yeah. So I think, yeah, Facebook, Twitter, sharing however you want to use technology in an appropriate way that, you know, that, uh, but I think you guys would all be, but we'll, what we'll do is what we're, this is, since this is just a, right now in the vision stage, we do need to produce some kind of a list of kind of, or a guidebook in terms of this is how you move forward. Um, I'll be back probably in November to visit Mufi and Veronica here, and so I offered to Lauren that we could, Laura, that we could, Laura, that we could, um, if there's, you know, for the group of people that wanted to start this, that we'll do a training session and talk through some of those details um, and kind of what your, you know, what your questions are. And and I would really think it's beneficial if we would, the, the people who want to do this, if we would meet at least monthly, to pray together, to discuss what's going on, to be part of that training, mm-hmm. um, just so we, we're all on board, we're all on the same page. Um, yeah, have I would imagine that, that we need to network together because there's going to be some warfare going on. For right. Wanting, you know, that we're not, you know, right. getting out there to. Yeah, we're going to have to fight this, I think. True, there's spiritual warfare. There's also accountability, too, because you will get pressure Mm -hmm. in terms of would you be willing to help me with this, or I need a computer, or my mother's this is broken. You're going to get those kind of things they're going to mention. But sometimes you're going to get a question about something. For example, it would be very common for someone to say, I was physically abused by my father or by my uncle. And part of my, my, my pain is that I've never been able to tell that to anyone. And so, you know, they may say, I need some resources. I need help with this. I need, 
and you may not know what to say or do. And so to have a group of people you can come back to, or me, or you know the others we put in place to kind of coordinate this, to come back and say, hey, my my uh, you know my mentee said um, this. I'm not sure how to process that. What do I? What's the way forward here? You know. So you know a group that can kind of hold be a, us accountable and be asking questions and making sure we're not moving in a direction that isn't healthy. Um, could you could you kind of lay out what you see would like a practical schedule of c- contacting them? And so when I, with the guys that I mentor, now I'm over there periodically, but when I'm here for several months, I try to be in some kind of a <coughs> writing conversation with them, whether I use Facebook Messenger, cause I use whatever tool they use, but typically it's Facebook Messenger or Skype chat or, I mean, a Skype Messenger email. Uh, some of them have access to, um, if they have an iPhone, they have access to Facebook. Um, Facebook. But, I mean, I try to write communicate with them once or twice a week okay. uh, in some kind of a, mm-hmm. sometimes it's more than that, but, you know, a message kind of a situation or an email situation. At least um, with writing, you can think about what you're about to yeah. say. How do, right. you, how do you navigate the time difference? It's, I just... We just we had on a chat. We'll just because they're six hours different. You're seven hours different, and so we'll negotiate a time. I can talk at this time, and then yes. so I just say I can talk, and then when they negotiate their time, that's not that hard. And with the email, it's yeah. But then, what, so I usually try to talk to to them by some kind of writing method, about twice a week, <coughs> sometimes more if they're struggling with something. And then, and then I would say, I think um, you could figure this out, but maybe every two weeks to every once a month, schedule a longer face-to-face conversation, <laughs> probably over something like Skype or some other video chat technology that you have. So if you were writing them or, or chatting, you know, uh, uh, inter- engaging them even once once a week or so, and you were talking to them face-to-face once a month, I think that would be very reasonable to maintain kind of the relationship. And then if it looks like it needs to be more than that, or they're asking you from some specific time, then you can negotiate that with them and um, and make it valuable for, for both of you. Because you're going to learn a lot from them, too. You're going to ask them about their culture. You're going to ask them about what's different about how, you know, you're going to build a relationship with them. Um, how will we be known to them as far as our religious beliefs? They're going to be Christians, most of them. At some point, we will probably bring in unbelievers into the process. Um, but for the for the start, I think we'll probably start with people that we, for the most part, would say are believers. Because of other things being different, them being called Christians, you mean a Jesus Christ believer in the Word, Gospel, Book, yeah, well Bible? Yeah, I will. <coughs> not Catholic, not. Well, they, yeah. at the, from the beginning, probably we will choose people who you would con- would come to your church, who you would consider to be believers. Uh, they're kind of have they they come from a very different background in terms of their theological structure, so you'll have some. I wouldn't like one of the ten, one of the one of the rules will be don't argue with them about their theological differences, because they come from such a very different background. Um, 
that I would say, you can tell them what you believe. You know, you can tell them, I grew up in this church, or this is the style of church I go to. But they may or may not understand what that means, because their, their, their cultural development has been different. Well, uh, a question-answer dialogue yeah. and, and religi- religious ethics are... Sure. Uh, we're just yeah. not trying to change... We're not trying to change them. We're trying to become stewards... We're, we're trying to become stewards of their gifts and, and, and their abilities. So, but we can talk through that and, and answer those specific questions you know, as we go on in the process. Too. I was going to say, there's, there's a, a gypsy lady in Romania that I FaceTime with, and a lot of times she just says, will you pray for me? You know, she doesn't have anybody praying with her. Mm-hmm. And so it might be just as simple as, yeah, I'm going to pray with you right now. Mm-hmm. So what sort of timeline we're looking at to actually, would we actually begin to do the one-on-one conversations? What are we looking at? I would say probably maybe by the, the end of the year or maybe the beginning of the year. So by the time we get them organized over there. and yeah. Now would sending them something ruin it? Or just don't promise anything? I certainly wouldn't promise anything. Promise it. And it's hard to send things to them anyway because things have duty and things oh, have... Wow. Okay. Um, so it would be difficult probably to, to, to send them anything. Could you send like Christmas cards, birthday cards, Certainly stuff like that, that to them? You could do that. Although my temp, although you could, although my temptation, I guess, probably would be to, um, at least the beginning, would be just to let it be electronic. You can send them links. Yeah, you can send them links to things. I mean, I have. Send them an e-card. And I and I go over there often enough that you know, if it's appropriate, you know, say you want to give them a book. Or you want to, you know, uh, a small, and I could, one of us who's traveling could probably take it if it was something that would be hard for them to get otherwise. But generally I would say the goal of this is not not to give and take physical things or gifts and services. Right now the goal of this is to provide them with a mentoring relationship that they wouldn't otherwise have. Um, And I've written down under the, you know, the proposal thing um, that essentially... What we're trying to do is understand um, understand their hearts, acknowledge our own skills, identify areas we can transfer things back and forth between our hearts, and develop a relationship with them basically through listening. And as you listen to them, ask the Lord for direction and be open to connect in the ways that he provides. Now, I see long-term, for example, if you are a business person, and you develop over the course of a year or two a relationship with a young person. You see that they're in the, you know, they're in school. They're doing certain things. Um, it makes sense. <coughs> it's possible this could develop into, hey, you know what? Our company is looking for an intern this summer in this area. It looks like that's kind of something you're ready to do. Would you be willing to come do an internship with us? In that, that may develop. It might develop that on one of the trips we take. There's a, there's a ministry that they're working in that they need help in, and they might say, hey, would you bring two or three people with you over here to help us with this you know, this thing we're trying to do here? Maybe those kind of things will develop. I don't know. About um, promising and then breaking the promise. Yeah, you can't That's do that. Yeah, you, don't, you don't want to do that. If we're going to do any kind of group thing like that, or, you, or, or there is a, or is a possibility of a, us helping someone over there, 
Say there was a say you you were working in a business and you have some guys that are willing to go over and teach an entrepreneurial skill session for some of the young people over there. Maybe that's something that would happen. We would arrange. Certainly, that's possible to do. We just have to be work done carefully and, and correctly. But I I can see those kinds of things developing. You know, mutual beneficial. But for now, all we're basically from you know projecting right now is that just to start a relationship that is based in transfer of wisdom, learning culture, listening well. Um, okay. I, I would make a suggestion. Uh, start boning up on Croatia. Yes. Google it. Look at the pictures. Find out. W- learn a little bit of Croatia. Yeah. <laughs> just start preparing no, it not the Balkan check not out Rick Steve's book at the library yeah Rick Steve's book or his video but I would say if, but definitely definitely at least the three the three countries where most of these relationships are going to build are going to be Croatia Bosnia and Macedonia because those are where I have the mass the most and they're similar enough in language and culture that that no matter which one of those three they come from the nuances of the differences. Now, they would not say this. They would, of course, say, we're all very different. What you talk about? I'm not Croatian. <laughs> For now, they're similar enough that, you know. In, in the New Testament, what, what are these areas called? So, so um, Macedonia. Macedonia would be the area. Lycrium, probably. Bithynia? Uh I don't really know. I'd have to go back and look at the, my map. So you're talking Croatia and what yeah, the Bosnia and Macedonia would be the... Look, he's checking the map. Are we talking cheese and sausage? <laughs> they eat cheese and sausage. Let's see. I'm in, let me get the map. No, I don't have that map in here. Let's see. Maybe I got one over here. Who will be the developer of guiding people into food? Yeah, it doesn't say. Yeah. Well, the entrepreneurship, you know, the... Yearly order for your Christmas sausage and cheese from Croatia just helps support them. We've been talking about exporting their wine. It's very good wine. Okay. Well, you're looking at a lot of non-alcoholic people. That's okay. But I'm just saying they make they make very good wine. So anyway, I have a look and a certain laugh that says I could be wrong. Next step in the process then is for you to um, pray into this and pray into the, the concept of it, of creating, you know, having a relationship with either, a, you know, a couple or with a, another person from that part of the world that you'd be willing to develop a mentoring relationship with. Pray into that and see is God leading you, you know, into, in that way. And then Laura and I will be, I guess they should contact you. Yeah, it would be good if, if I would cover on the ball if we could have uh, a names of everybody here that's interested in doing this. So, Joe, is there any paper <laughs> over there? <laughs> <laughs> I'll get a tablet. Yeah, we'll take off. I've got my name tag. Put on our name tag. Okay. So, wait, I need to start the Bosnia wall here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just.
So don't, don't run away what just yet. Give me really? that for Stick it on there. Stick it on there. Oh, okay. Stick it on there. 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 So, Laura's going to arrange getting your contact information, and then we'll talk and we'll kind of decide what the next best step is. I will go. I probably will talk with Susanna and some others in in Croatia and and just kind of get oh. a, kind of a group of people that would want to connect, and we'll see how big of a group we can create here. So, thank you guys for listening and to our idea, and uh, we're. Definitely pray into this, and if any other ideas you have, um, send them along, and we'll, you know, we'll talk through and incorporate all of this together into how it seems how the Lord wants to take it. So, this has not happened before. Not in exactly this way. Okay. My guess is it happens in other. I know it happens in the business world, but okay. so far I don't know about it happening in the Balkans in this way. So, okay. if it has, if it is. Then I'll find out about it and tap into it. So we'll see. <laughs> you already using a different paper. Well, no, we're putting our name tags on a piece of paper over here. Okay, I don't work. know where the name Organic. is. Organically. Glorious assured who the, uh, the names are. All right, so I need to run back to Dallas because I need to be there at 5. So Why don't you pick up your drive? Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't know how fast I run. <laughs> I mean, what's the shoes? Idea. I don't think. But not very fast. But they're not the fastest shoes. Yeah. yeah. Of course, Laura, you can guess at everybody's last name. Which side of Dallas? Yeah. That's our way. Which side of Dallas? All right. Let's uh, let's pray together, and then. Uh, you all again later in the fall, I'm sure. Lord, we thank you for John, for the word that he brought to us, the call that he's issuing. We ask you, Lord, that you would increase his influence, that you would meet all of his needs, and that, Lord, you would protect him with extra angels in his travels, his ministry, and his family. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts about opening our hearts more than ever to the nations doing what you've called us to do. And Lord, I pray that you bless John with a powerful meeting this evening. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Love you guys.